now. Um, and if you would, why don't we stand together for a reading of God's word? Let me just ask you a question before we read it. What do you believe is possible through God's word? What can God do with a word that will not return void? Everything. So as you think about this today, as you, as you receive this from the Lord today, just imagine what could God do through Philippians chapter 2 in us, in you, in me, what seeds are planted in just these simple verses, these six verses. Let me read it to you. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up the human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? All right. Grab a seat, everyone. Welcome home once again. So happy to see you. Again, if you don't know me, my name is David. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us. Hope to see you in person very soon. All right, so today we're starting up a brand new series uh, that will carry us up to Easter um, at Highlands called Introductions. Introductions, where we're taking a closer look at Jesus and the ways he chose to introduce himself to the world. Some of you might know what we're going to be talking about as the I am statements, uh, the eight statements Jesus makes in the book of John, where Jesus, uh, he, he encounters people essentially saying, so who are you really? These people come up and approach Jesus and say, who are you? To which he would focus his reply, he would, re he would focus his introduction in a way that would best speak to them, to their situation and their season. And why would he do this? It's so that those asking so that the world around him might come to know what God is really like in a way that they can understand. And so we're going to be talking about Jesus in his own words for the next eight weeks. And we're going to be doing this for a number of reasons. But the first reason we'll be doing these I am statements is because Jesus is, without a doubt, the, the most influential and significant figure in all human history. He has been searched for and written about more than any other person that has ever lived. And this isn't just from church people. Now, I'm talking like Time Magazine rating him number one most important person in world history. There have been countless books written looking at the advent of Western civilization, and they all point back to him, this Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi from a small town in Israel 2,000 years ago. They look to him, and they call him as the source for everything that we're seeing in the modern world. Friends, even ChatGTP, are you familiar with ChatGTP? It's like this AI software that you can ask questions to. Artificial intelligence, I went on and I asked, and I quote, who is the most famous person who has ever lived? Who is the most influential person in human history? And AI, which pulls from the sum total of all human knowledge, digital knowledge and content, AI replies, given the various perspectives, if I were to pick one, Jesus Christ, is often cited as the most famous and influential person in history due to the profound impact of his teachings on Christianity and his lasting influence on world culture. Y'all, yeah. 
it is undisputed, undisputed, the impact that Jesus made on the world. They saw him as this amazing uh, thinker and leader, but wanted nothing to do with him in the spiritual sense. And, and I don't know if you ever heard this, or maybe you've said this, but it's, I heard like, oh man, I love Jesus, but I'm just not religious. I love Jesus, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not real into to church. So they wanted him, just like I think we've all wanted him at some point. They wanted him for what he could do for them, and what he meant to them in that moment at that time. But isn't that just how it goes? I think we all want Jesus for a reason or another, some reason or another. The whole world does, according to ChatGTP, like the whole world wants something from Jesus. And so we make assumptions, and we choose to address him accordingly. Some see him as teacher. Some see him as savior. Some see him as judge or friend of sinners. 
the Holy One. Some see him as God, as Messiah, as prophet, priest, king, rabbi, and the list could go on and on and on. But what we find is in every single one of those assumptions, while they might be true, they aren't the whole truth. Which is why, again, we're going to be looking at the scriptures for the next eight weeks, looking to the scriptures to see who Jesus really is, but examining how the man himself, by examining how the man himself, the most important person that's ever lived, we're going to be looking at Jesus through his own words, how he chose to introduce himself to the world. Because if we don't, friends, we will never really know the real him. And, and friends, like, he wants to be known. If there's one thing I need you to walk away with today is that Jesus wants you to know the real him. And I believe even now through his spirit, he's trying to make an introduction so you might live your greatest life of faith in his name. So let's dig in. Yeah? Beyond the incomplete assumptions, let's get to the source to discover who Jesus truly is in his own words. Amen. Amen, Pastor David. Let's get to it. Okay. Well, as we begin today, a uh, quick question. If you had to guess what the number one title assigned to Jesus in the Bible is, what would you think it is? Like, if there's one thing that, like, when you read the New Testament and you hear people address him, what's the number one thing that he's referred to as? Any guesses? What's that? Lord. Okay. Anything else? Rabbi. Good. I heard teacher. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want you to know that it's not even close, that, that more than anything, people call him the Christ. More than 900 times, Jesus is referred, referred to as the Christ in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, which, just a heads up, Christ is not his last name, if you didn't know that. I, I Honestly, I think when I was growing up, I was like, Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? Like, that's his last name. It's not. And it's also not a reason to get mad at someone else. But listen, Jesus Christ is, is a title applied to him that means Messiah. It means anointed one. I was doing some research on this, and it, it actually means the oiled one. The oiled one, which is interesting. So in the Old Testament, the title Christ would have applied to kings and to priests as the ones who would come and lead and to rescue. And so when Jesus hits the scene, uh, and folks see him do all sorts of amazing things, like teaching this stuff that's just blowing people's minds, when they saw him begin to fulfill all of these prophecies that they knew, the natural assumption was Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, he's the future king and priest here to save, to rescue Israel from the Roman Empire and bring them back to greatness. This was the assumption. Which is, again, why all throughout the Gospels you find people coming to him. More than 900 times, people come up to Jesus and refer to him as the Christ. You must be the Christ, which he was. Which he was. But what's interesting is that in almost every one of these instances in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find Jesus, when they come to him and say the Christ, and ask him if he's the Christ, you find Jesus deflect and, and reply with a very different type of introduction. In fact, while Christ might be the most assumed title by others about him, Jesus actually self-describes himself most as something else entirely. And that is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Let me just give you a few quick examples for reference. Out of the more than 85 examples when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is from John chapter 1. It says, Then he... 
Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Anyone Led Zeppelin fan back in the day? Stairway to heaven. This is Jesus right here. All right, Mark chapter 14. It says, Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the Christ? The anointed, and Jesus deflects, right? He, he says, I am, but then, but then he pushes it aside and he says, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. If you can, just take a snapshot of that scripture in your brain because we're going to be coming back to this in a bit. Here's Mark chapter 8. It says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And one more from Luke 19. It says, Then Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Okay, so all throughout the Gospels, more than 85 times in the New Testament alone, just in, just in the Gospels, Jesus introduces himself as the Son of Man. More than a teacher, more than a rabbi, more than Savior or Christ, Son of Man is the introduction he chose to make most. Why? What does it mean? Why would the most important man in human history choose to introduce himself in this way? And why does it matter? To understand the why, we must first understand where the phrase comes from. And I just want you to know, I'm going to get nerdy on context for just a second, okay? Lots of details, lots of indications for, for where this all fits within the story of God. And so if you want to take notes, it's just going to dig deep for a minute, and then I'm going to get to the backstory, and then I'm going to get back to Jesus before we hit what it means for us today. So take notes. Pay attention. Here we go. So son of man, first thing you need to know about this phrase, son of man, is that, is that it's not an official title. It's not a title that he applies to himself or a title that's been given to him, but rather it's, it's, um, but rather it's what's called an, a symbolic association. A symbolic association. What does that mean? Uh, when I was studying this past week, I heard symbolic association explain something like this. Um, mostly men in the room. If I say the phrase, the dark night, what might you assume I'm talking about? I don't want to, listen, I'm not trying to be seclusionary here with like with the ladies. Like if you know Batman, praise the Lord. I love that. But if I said the dark knight, we all know it means what? Batman. Okay, now while his official name and his official title is Batman or Bruce Wayne, when you hear the dark knight, you still think of him. It's not his name, but the phrase is another. If I said the phrase, the big apple, what am I talking about? Awesome. The city is called New York City. But there's a symbolic association with this phrase, the Big Apple. Just a couple more. If I said that there were red states and blue states, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, see? It, it, it's not the name of their state, but it still makes sense. If I said, in, in reference to politics, if I said donkeys and elephants, what am I talking about? All of this makes sense to us today, right? But none of these are their official names. We don't have the donkey party or the elephant party. Well, <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, let's, let's crop that part out of the live stream, okay? But none of these are their official names. Rather, they are what's called symbolic associations. Does this make sense? 
Cool. Now, in the same way, Jesus is not titling himself the Son of Man, but rather he is symbolically associating himself with this phrase, a phrase that would have, uh, that those living in the first century would have most certainly understood. And so what does the Son of Man mean? Where does it come from? This is where it gets interesting. So in the Hebrew, the phrase son of, um, it, it doesn't mean the literal offspring, the male offspring of, but rather it means being members of a category. So son of means being members of a category, which is the, um, and the category that's being referred to here then is man, which again, the Hebrew word is Adam, which doesn't just mean males, but rather it means all humanity, okay? And so when we say son of man, it means being a member of the broader category of humanity. So how does this connect? Well, to find that out, we need to go back to the beginning. And um, the beginning is essentially God creates the world. God creates the world. He makes everything we see and everything we can't. And then best for, la best for last, he makes Adam, or he makes humanity. And he makes them, Adam and Eve specific, with a very clear purpose. Their purpose is to reign and to rule over the earth. And we see this in Genesis 1. Check this out, it'll be on the screen. It says, then God said, I hope it's on the screen. Do I have that one? Yes. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign, there it is, over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, all the wild animals on the ground, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And this is key. Humanity, if you didn't know, was made to reign over the world on God's behalf. To carry the image of God on God's behalf. This was their intention when God made them. And, and it actually started out pretty awesome. They were doing a fine job. But then Genesis 3 comes along. And sin enters the story uh, when, this, when this purpose that God had given them somehow became insufficient. And humanity decided they wanted to reign on their own behalf. To rule their own stories. To be gods of their own life. And it, and it created this chasm between God and people. It created this, this disconnect, this separation. Still, God hated this reality. Why? Because God made them. God made humanity for a reason. And just because they abandoned this purpose doesn't mean God changed his mind. And so he put in place a plan to one day restore the relationship and welcome humanity back into its created role of co-ruling over creation with him. And this is a moment we see forecast and fulfilled in the book of Daniel chapter 7 with a whole lot of wacky imagery. So I'm going to walk you through this. So Daniel is a, is a prophet who is not a prophet. He has this vision. And in this vision, it has all of these beasts everywhere which represent nations of the world in chaos. They were ruling over the earth, crushing and devouring the people of the world with its own destructive systems of sin. It's not unlike what we see today, right? But in the vision, there's a shift where Daniel is brought into the presence of God, starting in verse 9, where it says this. It says, I watched as thrones, not one, multiple I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One, the Ancient of Days, sat down to judge. 
His clothing was as white as snow. His hair was like purest wool. He sat on the fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Millions, many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Jeanette, the court began its session. What happens at court? Judgment. And this is what we see happen here in verse 11. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire, and the other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. This is a vision of God judging the world, judging and humbling the nations. One was destroyed... The others were stripped of authority. And then, this is so cool. Then, verse 13, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. Mm. I saw something like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So recap, just in case if anything was confusing here. Daniel sees the future. Daniel is getting a glimpse into the future where there is a judgment coming. Nations will be humbled, and the beasts of this world will be stripped of authority. As the Son of Man, born of humanity, is welcomed back into God's presence and given his throne to continue humanity's original purpose of reigning over the earth on God's behalf. Verse 14, and this Son of Man, he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every na- race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. The Son of Man in this vision is the perfect humanity restored back to God to reign over every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue forever. His rule is eternal. His kingdom will never be destroyed. It kind of sounds like something we read at Christmas from Isaiah chapter 9. Check this out. It's on the screen. It says, For a child is born to us. A son of man is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne Remember the thrones from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. A son is given. A son of man is come. His rule and authority, his sovereignty is eternal and his government and its peace will never end. The passionate commitment to the Lord, the ancient of days, will make this happen. And friends, it's this image It's this image and symbol from Daniel and Isaiah and shared also in Job, the Psalms, and Jeremiah. It's this vision 
that Jesus, the most influential person in the course of human history, it's this image that Jesus is choosing to associate himself with most as he introduces himself to the world. More than any other descriptor or assumption or detail, when the world asks Jesus who he is, Jesus points to Daniel chapter 7. Jesus points to the throne that he will occupy as the Son of Man, the perfect humanity, born to reign over all creation alongside his good Father for all eternity. And while, again, in 21st century America, and maybe some of this phrase, some of these details gets a bit lost in translation, but for those listening in the first century, y'all, this would have stopped them in their tracks. It would have given them such hope and anticipation that something was about to happen. Because Jesus wasn't just saying, hey guys, it's me. I'm here to rescue you from the Roman Empire. Or he wasn't just saying, hey guys, don't worry about it. I'm just here to teach you how to have a fair and equitable society. He wasn't even saying, y'all, hey, I'm here to save you from your sins, bring you to heaven. Now, more than any other introduction, he was like, I am the Son of Man. You remember that vision from Daniel? Yeah, I am the eternal king of the universe that you have been waiting for. I am the one I have always been who will rule with authority over creation alongside the Father until the end of time. This is who I am, and this is what I do. And I love how Jesus just knocks this home in John chapter 8. It's on the screen when he says, You are from below, but I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you? they demanded. Jesus replied, I am the, I, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. And this is it. They still didn't understand what he was talking about. So verse 28, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the, the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. The Son of Man always does what pleases the Father. That was the intention from the very beginning of creation, that humanity would obey the Father. And this is exactly what we see in our opening scripture from Philippians 2 as well. When Paul wrote, he said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born a human being, the son of man. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And y'all, this is this is Jesus in his own words. This is his introduction more than any other thing. He is what Daniel saw. A perfect humanity welcomed by the Father to take his place in his created purpose to reign over the world for all eternity. Jesus, the Son of Man, John chapter 1, the one who is the stairway to heaven. This is Jesus and he wants you to know it. He wants you to know. He does not want you to assume. 
or to misunderstand. And so he tells us over and over and over again why. So you might understand the scope of his authority, the scope of his power, and that he and he alone now occupies the empty throne, humanity left behind in the garden. There are no equals to Jesus. There are no rivals. There are no other kings or rulers or authorities seated at God's right hand. It's only Jesus, the Son of Man, just like it was always intended to be. And this has been the Christian confession, friends. This has been the orthodox Christian position for more than 2,000 years, that he isn't just the Christ, he isn't just a teacher, he isn't just a rabbi or a good moral leader or a political revolutionary. Now he is the king of the universe, and he exists in a category of his own as the son of man, the perfect humanity. Now, how's that for context? Lots of details? Everyone getting tired? Yeah, we're good? Okay, let's talk about what this means for us. Or maybe better said, what does Jesus want this introduction to do for our faith? What response is he hoping for when he says, hey, I am the son of man? Because this is a pretty epic introduction if we know the context. It's totally wild, right? As he's placing himself within this incredible story of redemption and restoration of the world. But that's just him. He's on the throne. And so what does that say for his people? What does the son of man mean for the rest of us? Well, I think the, the response Jesus wants from us as his people when we hear this introduction is really built on three key practices, and those are appreciation, adoration, and imitation. Can you say that with me real quick? Let's just say that. Appreciation, adoration, and imitation. One more time. Appreciation, adoration, and imitation. When we hear that Jesus is the Son of Man, it should inspire us, friends, starting with appreciation. It should inspire in us a deep sense of appreciation. Why? Because he is stepping into a role and reality that we were never able to accomplish. He humbled himself and became one of us to be what we were unable to be on our own, a perfect humanity. And that on its own should just make us say, thank you, Jesus. I appreciate what you did for me and the world. Thank you, Jesus. I acknowledge that this work, this role you embraced was below your pay grade. I acknowledge that you becoming a human is so far beneath you as God, but you did it anyway. And I am grateful. Thank you, Jesus. And this is that first practice. Everything must start with genuine appreciation because it's in our appreciation of what Jesus did that what Jesus did becomes real in our hearts and minds. It's no longer this theological abstract concept, but rather a deep-rooted recognition of reality that's rich with gratitude. So somebody tell me, are you grateful that Jesus is the Son of Man? Yeah. Do you appreciate what he did? He left heaven for you. He was born a baby for you. He made his way through adolescence for you. Anyone with teenagers in the house? Hallelujah. 
Do you appreciate that God spent 33 years on earth before dying on a Roman cross for you? And he did it for you because you couldn't. Somebody say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. One more time. Thank you, Jesus. It must start with appreciation. This is a change of your mind. A change of mind because it's from there that we find our second practice, and that is a change of heart with our adoration. As we acknowledge what he did and appreciate him, it's, it, the only reasonable response from this change of mind is, is simply adoration, that we would love him and worship him for it. And that's what we see in Philippians 2, right, where it says, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue, and in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can de declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If we really stop to consider this introduction from Jesus, the sheer magnitude of this reality should cause us to fall on our knees in adoration. And I want you to know that one day this is going to happen for everybody. One day, when glory is revealed for good, we will all bow low before Jesus. But for now, that's just us. As he reigns supreme of creation at the Father's right hand, now it's up to us to declare his greatness. This is why we sing, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. This is our responsibility. This is our response. A change of mind and a change of heart. It starts with appreciation. It's saying thank you, and it shifts to adoration, which brings us up to this last practice, and, and what I think is actually most important, and that is imitation or a change of action. What do I mean by this? When I say imitation, I simply mean that as people made in the image of God, we would choose to be the symbolic association of Jesus in our everyday. That we would be imitators of Jesus in all things at all times, with no limits or compartments. I don't know about you guys, but I have had some compartments in my life. I have created some limits where I would say that I represent Jesus in and things that I don't. Over the course of my life, there's been so many moments where I've failed to really reflect the image. Anyone ever fail to reflect the image of God? But this is the expectation that we would imitate. And what's so amazing is we don't need to look hard to determine how this goes. The Son of Man came to show us how to truly be human beings on God's behalf. He came and he taught us and he showed us and he revealed to us who we were always intended to be. And that's one of us into our greatest possible life of faith through imitation. This is the dream. And we see it in Luke chapter 9 and then Philippians 2 again. Let me just read Luke chapter 9. It says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are, you, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, what does it say? The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So, Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude as Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took a humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And y'all, I, I hope that this is making sense for you, that Jesus introduces himself as the Son of Man so we might know how to be human so we might know how God always intended us to be. So we might imitate him by living out our created purpose of reigning over the world on God's behalf like he does. And this is why. And, and, and there's a, I, I was just thinking about this story and how, how different it could have gone. God could have written this story any way he wanted. He could have written Jesus into a vision from Daniel where, where Jesus was a giant whale or a huge robot or like a lion with six heads. Could you imagine that? Try imitating a lion with six heads. Not's going to work, right? He could have because he's God. Jesus could have come in a very different fashion, but none of that would have helped humanity. None of that would have helped us remember and return to our created purpose, right? Which is why this first introduction from Jesus is such incredible news for us. Because it tells us that Jesus came so you might know what it means to be alive. So you might experience the good life for all eternity by imitating him. And he did it. He did it because the Father, the Ancient One on the throne, he didn't want heaven without us. Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, they did not want heaven without humanity. And I just want you to let that sink in for a second, that God didn't want people, the prize of his creation, to miss out on eternity with him. And so he stepped into the world that he made, that we broke, to make peace and bring us back into God's presence both now and in the age to come. And it was all through Jesus, the Son of Man. And what I think is so amazing is his only expectation for everything he done is that we would simply choose to thank him and love him and live like him. That we would take up our cross daily and follow him. That we would choose to have his attitude as his representatives in the world as his symbolic association. And that's it. He's not asking you to defeat sin on your own. He's not asking you to be perfect without him. Friends, he's not asking us to be anything other than what we were created to be. And that is his image, born and now born again, to show the world what he's like in everything we do. To reign over creation on his behalf, so the world might know him for who he really is. The Son of Man. Now, as we, as we wrap up this today, wrap this up today, Highlands, wouldn't it be amazing if the church became this image again? Yeah. Did you know that in the first century, um, the church, after Jesus uh, ascended, the church didn't introduce themselves as Christians? Did you know this? No, it, it was actually... A symbolic association given by the world to these people because when the world observed the church they couldn't believe how much they looked like Jesus they live like Jesus they love like Jesus they spoke like Jesus they imitated Jesus in everything and the world saw it and when they looked in at this church they said you must be little Christ's you must be Christians and so this became their introduction to the world 
Lord, let it be true of us again. Let us be a church that carries the image of God with grateful appreciation. Amen? Let us be a church that bows low before the Son of Man in heartfelt adoration. Amen? And finally, let us be a church that imitates Jesus in all things so we might better show the world what God is like because this is why we are alive. This is why you're alive. No secondary thrones, no extra allegiance, no more chasing your own way or living for the past. No, friends, it's time to honor Jesus again. It's time to honor Jesus as the Son of Man with everything. With everything. Now, as we close today, I just want to pray for you, but before we do, Becca, if you want to come on up, um, before we pray, I just want to clue you in on something that we're going to be practicing or trying for the next couple weeks, and that is uh, we want to work to create a more intentional time of response to receive from the Lord. I notice that sometimes as we're closing out a service, there are folks who just want to hang a little longer or pray or worship or seek after God, and we haven't always created space for that to happen. And so in the future, we're not going to do it every single week, but, but we want to begin this practice in the month of February to create space for you and for me to connect with God before we go. And maybe for you, that's just sitting and praying. Maybe it's worship, as Becca is going to lead us just in some, some quiet songs. Maybe it's coming down to the front. We used to call that altar calls, right? Coming down to the altar and confessing to the Lord. Maybe it's asking for prayer. I don't know. We just want to make space for that to happen. So as we close, I just want to pray over you. And then after the amen, if, if you want to hit the road, go with God. If you want to hang and, and hang out with each other, go in the lobby or go into the courtyard. Um, but if you want to, like, spend a bit more time with the Lord, that's what this time is for. And I just want to encourage you to stay until you're ready to go. Amen? Okay, so let's pray, and then we'll dismiss. Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Let's ask God to move. Jesus, we invite you as the Son of Man into this, into this moment. We acknowledge you, God. We appreciate you. We come before you with a change of heart as we, as we work to imitate you in our everyday. God, what a gift it is that you came to us. What a gift it is that you became like us so we might know what humanity was always intended to be. We ask that you would give us open minds, open hearts, and that you would open up our lives that we might better reflect you out into the world around us. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are not just a good teacher, that you are not just the Savior for our eternity, that you are not just a rabbi to follow or a disher of amazing advice, God, but you are the Son of Man, the King of the universe, seated on the throne next to the Father in heaven even now, reigning and ruling over all creation on our behalf. And so, God, we ask in this moment that you would open our eyes to this reality, the severity, the magnitude of this reality, and that we would bow low in our hearts and minds, that we would submit to you again and surrender to you again, that we would trust you with our problems again. That we come before you with our wants, our desires, our fears, our failures. That we lay everything down before you today. Because you can take it as the Son of Man. As the reign 
of God, as the rule of God. God, we trust you, and we respect you, and we honor you when we bow low before you today. So God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to, to answer your introduction today. As you've come to meet us today, as we've invited you into this moment, God, we just ask that you would give us the courage to be different in response. That we would see you for who you really are. And that we would build our lives accordingly. So holy God, ancient one, son of man, we surrender our lives to you today. We acknowledge who we are and who you are in reply, and we ask that you would give us your spirit again to lead us into greater faith and obedience. That when we leave here today, we would be a better representation of you because of a change of mind and a change of heart. So God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. And we thank you for all the ways that you have come to us and met us in our mess and are leading us even now. So Jesus, we thank you for today. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. So thanks for being here. If you want to go, go. If you want to sing, stay. If you want to pray, come on down. This is up to you. We love you. Have a great Sunday.